Let's bow once again for a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for giving us an opportunity to open our hearts in praise, in song, and prayer. Now, Lord, we pray that you'll encourage us to open our hearts to your word and to the way we respond to your word here today. We're so thankful that we can be here. This is a hallowed day, and we want it to be a day that we honor you the way we should, with our thoughts and with our lives, with our responses, with our behavior. We do seek your blessing on those who are serving you out of this church family in other places and going there today. We pray, Lord, for your blessing and guidance and endowment with power for the things that they're endeavoring to do in your name. And now do that for us here, Lord, as your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The message that I want to bring today that the Lord has led me to bring is entitled Back to the Basics. It's built around a chapter in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The Lord sort of led me to that chapter as I was wondering what should I speak about in my opportunity to preach this Sunday. I was thinking about the 4th of July and independence and things like that as I was going through the uh, wonderful time of the year where we remember uh, how our nation began and how God enabled it to begin. And uh, in reading the scriptures, I was directed toward a verse here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that said, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. You can use either word there. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I began to read that chapter and it was very confusing. And uh, I thought, uh, (laughs) what is all this trying to say? And uh, the more I pondered it, the more the Lord opened up to me some understanding of what that chapter was about. And so I want to share some of those thoughts that he gave me. I really, he gave me so much, I have no idea where this is all going to go and how much of it I'm going to be able to include. I'll let him guide me in that. But uh, in this this wonderful chapter, third chapter of 2 Corinthians, God is using the church at Corinth as an example to us. So I like to refer to this church as the First Baptist Church of Corinth. And so uh, (laughs) uh, this was a church that uh, was established in an area that was known for its immorality. And so if you wanted to talk about somebody who was grossly immoral, they would say they are Corinthianizing. And that sort of covered covered the, the whole subject. It was that kind of a place, and yet God had directed the Apostle Paul there, and he had begun to tell the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and a few people began to respond, but uh, he also began to get some opposition. And uh, uh, he was wondering about whether to just get out of here or not, and God spoke to Paul and said, just stay where you are, keep up the good work. He said, I have many people in this city who, if they hear the good news, they will respond and believe it. So you just hang in there. 
And so Paul did. He continued to pastor that little beginning church for a year and a half. And so this is the church that he said some very good things about. Uh, In his first letter to them, after he had left from there and was still thinking about them and they were on his heart, uh, he wrote them a letter and he said some very complimentary things about them, about how they responded so wonderfully to the gospel of Christ. They heard it, they believed it, they received it, and their lives were changed, just radically changed. He said that as far as spiritual gifts are concerned, he said you don't fall behind any church in your spiritual gifts that you've been given. You're right up there at the top uh, of all the churches. And so he had some complimentary things to say to them. But he also had some things that needed some straightening out. And uh, so he uh, was faithful to tell them about some of those things. Uh, He said that in your midst, you have a person who is so immoral in his behavior that even the Corinthians think that it's terrible. And yet you're accepting that. And then he went on to say, and you're dividing yourself up in cliques. And some are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. And some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Apollos. And some are saying, oh, I'm a follower of Simon Peter. And others say, we got you all beat. We're followers of Jesus Christ. And so uh, here they were divided up into cliques and uh, competing with each other instead of working together and doing God's work uh, in a, a manner that, <clears throat> that had that effect of, of uh, the effect of getting far more done uh, when you work together than when you work in separate groups. And so he had some wonderful things to say, some corrective things to say. But thank God, God had something to tell us through the experiences of that church in Corinth. And I wanted to share some of those with you today. As Paul begins his letter, uh, begins this chapter, he talks about letters of commendation. And he said in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, Do I have to begin again to commend ourselves to you? Do we need, as some others, uh, letters of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Uh, What he was directing his remarks to were people who had come into the church after he had left and had said, look, you folks, what you've done is not enough. Yes, you've believed the gospel about Jesus and you're changed on the inside, but you've also got to keep the rules. You've got to keep all them Jewish rules if you expect to make it to heaven. So they would come in to add these things. And, uh, and they had evidently some letters of commendation from some of the big shots in Jerusalem and, and maybe other areas. And so uh, they were saying, you need to listen to us because, see, we've got the credentials. It sounds like sort of modern day looking at preachers and teachers. And if you don't have degrees behind your name, then uh, you're not worth listening to. Uh, you've got to have a doctor of theology or a doctor of psychology or a doctor of philosophy or something. Uh, And Paul is saying, no, that's not what counts. Is that what you're looking for? You're looking for the wrong thing. He goes on uh, in the second verse to say, you are our letter or epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. And what Paul is saying and what God is saying through Paul is that, yes, there's a letter here There's a letter of recommendation and commendation, but it's not a letter written with ink, but it's written with the spirit of the living God. 
It is the evidence of his work, the work of the spirit of the living God. And so Paul is trying to, God through Paul is trying to get the attention of these people to get back to the basics. It's not a matter of rules. It's a matter of being guided by the spirit of the living God. He's the one that started this work in you. He's the one that can carry it on and really make something out of it. And so he's trying to get them back to the basics of letting the Spirit of God be who they look to and not some man-made rules or stuff. You know, men like to make rules. That's something that we we're all uh, sort of gravitate toward. We like to make rules. Our country is so full of rules right now that uh, we can't even figure out what they all are. Uh, it takes <laughs> a real master in legal matters to to figure it out, and some of them can't even do it. So uh, men like rules. Last Sunday, we've been away, Bobby and I have been away for uh, about a month now from this church. I've been filling in in different places. And uh, last Sunday, we went to a homecoming at Simsboro, where I grew up for 10 years, and my father pastored there for 10 years. And so we were there uh, listening to a sermon by a young man, Jason Cole, who had been the minister of youth in that church some years back. And uh, he was talking about how to be a successful church. And he brought a good message. He used the description of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, uh, which I like to call it. Uh, he used the description of that church. Uh, and he said that they, the Bible says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers and, uh, and it went on to describe the kind of church it was. And so uh, he was trying to encourage that church. If you want to be a successful church, these are the things you need to be doing. Well, that was good. But the basic thing was not that that's how they got to be that kind of a church, that they obeyed those rules. The basic thing was the Holy Spirit got those people ready to be that kind of people. And so that's basically what this chapter in Corinthians is trying to tell us, that it is not man-made rules that make a difference. Uh, the pastor was talking about successful churches, that many people would say, well, if you want to have a successful church, you've got to have a building that's attractive. You've got to have parking lots that have plenty of room and, and not too far to walk from there to the church. You've got to have music that appeals to people. You've got to have this, you've got to have that, all of these different things. Is that what makes a successful church? No. No, you can have all that, but if you don't have the spirit of the living God at work there, it's not going to amount to a hill of beans. And so this is what in this chapter the, the Lord is trying to say to this church. So it's the evidence of God's spirit at work that counts. That's when you know something good is going to happen. Something good is there. And we can't do that kind of thing on our own. It goes on to say in verse 4 of that chapter, it says, this is the kind of trust we have through Christ toward God that this is his work. It is not something that we can do on our own. It has to be done by him through us, in us and through us. I remember years ago reading a book that was entitled The Forgotten One in Modern Day Christianity. 
and it was about the Holy Spirit. Now, I can't remember how many years ago that was, but it was quite a, quite a few years ago I read that book. And I'd have to say that in the years since then, that not only hasn't changed toward the better, it has changed toward the worst. That there is a tendency on the part of churches and people that make up the churches to forget the role that the Holy Spirit plays and to try to do, be a good successful church without the empowerment and the wisdom and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it on our own. We must have Him and His empowerment and His guidance in order to accomplish the things that happened there in Corinth and that could continue to happen there. It was the Holy Spirit that did that initial work. It was the Holy Spirit that changed them, that made new creatures out of them, and it's the Holy Spirit that continues to enable us to be what God wants us to be and to bring honor into his name. Well, it says in verse 6 that God has made us able ministers of the New Testament or the New Covenant. There was an old covenant that was built around the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to talk about those a little bit, and all of the statutes that went along with the Ten Commandments. There's, there was an old co- covenant, an Old Testament. But he has made us now ministers of the New Covenant, the New Testament, which consists not of obeying the letter of the law, but, because, uh, but obeying the Spirit. Because it says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life and gives it more abundantly. And so this is the essence of what is basic to being the kind of church God wants us to be is that we're not caught up in trying to obey rules, but we're caught up in submission and obedience, surrender to the Holy Spirit's leading, the Holy Spirit's guidance. It's the Holy Spirit that gives this kind of life that is a new kind of life, and it grows into a more and more abundant kind of life. And so this passage is trying to tell us some of those things. Now, it talks about Moses as being the great beginner of the Old Covenant. And uh, in this passage, in this chapter from verses 7 through 13, it's pretty well taken up with a description of how God worked through Moses to bring the law unto us. And Moses had glory put upon him because of the part he played in getting these commandments known to men, getting them from God, bringing them to the understanding of people. The Bible says that Moses, when he first got the Ten Commandments, and came down from the mountain to give them to the people of Israel. Uh, He found what they were doing down there in idolatry and immorality. And he was so, I guess, caught up in disappointment and and, uh, anger. And he threw those tablets (laughs) and broke them to pieces. So he had to go back the second time. God said, you make another set of tablets and I'll write on them, but you make the tablets this time. 
And so Moses went back up the second time, and God wrote, engraved in the stone, those Ten Commandments once again. And this time Moses didn't throw them down and break them. He, he brought them down, and they were in the ark, placed in the Ark of the Covenant, and were there for as long as that covenant endured. Well, those commandments were given for a good purpose. First of all, they revealed the glory and the holiness of God. That word glory is a word that simply means you give the respect that is due to a person. And God deserves an awful lot of respect, and so his glory is the highest of all. But Moses was glorified for having obeyed God and having brought unto men those rules that God wanted them to know. Those rules, first of all, gave us a description of God's glory and holiness. God said, you'll have no other gods before me because I'm the only God there is. And so he made that clear in the first commandment. In the second one, he said, I don't want you making any statues or any painting on canvas or anything trying to picture me that way because you'll wind up using those as superstitious objects, good luck charms. I want you to deal directly with me. I don't want you having substitute things like that. And so that was the second commandment. Third commandment says, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, which of course means don't use his name in profanity, but even more, don't use his name in a flippant way or look on his name in that way. The fourth commandment was, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God did all of his work of creation in six days and on the seventh day he rested. He said, I want you to remember that and you, you operate that way too. You do all your work in six days and on the seventh day you rest. And so that's what God did and that was the command he gave unto us. And then he said, honor your father and mother. And uh, <clears throat> he knows that if we, and uh, you uh, youth who are here today, you're still maybe partly in that context that we all come through when we're growing up. Uh, we are, honoring our father and mother means obey. It means obey your father and mother. When we learn to do that, and we learn that it's a whole lot better that way, even if we didn't want to initially, but later on we realize, well, that was the best way after all. Uh, we learn that, and then we're ready to accept, as we get older, we're ready to accept a heavenly father. And uh, I love what uh, Kathy sung, uh, the, uh, the song about, Lord, I want to do your way so I won't get in your way. Uh, uh, K, I mean, excuse me. But... Uh, <clears throat> But this is what uh, God was saying there, that I want you to honor your father and mother so that when you get grown up, you'll honor me as your heavenly father. And then he went on into those other commandments about uh, I don't want you to murder because I don't murder. I don't want you to steal because I don't steal. How could I steal? It all belongs to me. <laughs> There's no way I could steal. It's mine already. Uh, so uh, he, he gives these commandments. They're telling about him, first of all, and, uh, and he said, I don't want you to commit adultery. He has said over and over again in the Bible, he's faithful to his covenant. He's faithful when he makes promises. He's faithful to them. And so it's a picture of God. Those commandments are a picture of God. 
it, it says that he does not lie, bear false witness. Uh, he does not covet. And so uh, it's a picture that glorifies God in his holiness, but it's also a picture that helps us to realize we fall short of it. We fall short of that. I'd have to say, young folks, that by the time I was six years old, I'd already broken at least three of the commandments of God. And uh, I didn't like to think of that, um, but a Sunday school teacher uh, sort of presented that, and uh, after she had discussed it a little bit, I realized, boy, I've done it. And I know when it says that the commandment, the commandments kill, rules kill, but the Spirit gives life, that's what that command, those commandments did to me. I realized I've broken them. And there's no hope for me. I'm going to die and go to hell the way I am now because I've already, I've already sinned. I'm not worthy of heaven anymore. Well, <clears throat> these are the things that this chapter is trying to tell us, that you can't live by, by rules and expect to get to heaven that way. You've got to listen and obey the Spirit of God in order to get changed into a new life, to be born again, and to become the person God wants you to be. And so not only were the commandments given to give to show the glory and, and holiness of God, they were given to help us to see that we fall short of his glory and we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay. Moses was a great rule giver then. And when he <clears throat> went up there the second time, he got a chance to see just the backside of God. God said, I'm going to let you see me, but nobody can look in my face and live. Nobody in, in your shape, Moses, or in any of our shapes, can look in my face and live. So he said, I'm going to hide you in this crevice in the rock, and I'm going to pass by. You won't be able to see my face, but when I'm past, you'll be able to see my backside. And so God let Moses see that much of him as he gave him that second engraving of the Ten Commandments. And it caused Moses' face to shine with a glory that he didn't ever have before. And so when Moses went down from the mountain and the people looked at him and saw that glory shining from his face, it frightened them. And they said, Moses, don't look at us. Like that. It scares the daylights out of us. And so Moses put a veil over his face so that he wouldn't frighten the people, so that he could move among them and talk to them and them with him and, uh, and not be scared to death. Uh, so it was a frightening thing. Even that much of a vision of what God really is and who God really is is a scary thing. And a lot of people are afraid of God because they see something of that when they just hear about him. Their inner heart sees something like that and, and they realize, oh, goodness, I'm a sinful person and I better hide from him. Uh, no telling what he's going to do to me. And so a lot of people are afraid of God and they're hiding from him. But that's not the thing to do. The thing to do is to realize that he wants to change you. He wants to clean you up and he wants to give you that new life that will never stop. It's never going to end. It's going to be an eternal life that he's going to give to you. Well, this is the thing that God was trying to get across through this letter to the Corinthians. That Moses had that glow, but it didn't last long. It was only skin deep. 
And that's the way it is trying to keep rules. You have an appearance of being religious, of being faithful to your religion. You have an appearance. But it isn't inwardly like it ought to be. And so how did all of that work out? I want to just get to the conclusion here. How did that all work out in the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem? We have a description of how that worked out, and I just want to share briefly something with you about that. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus, before he went back to heaven, in uh, the first chapter of Acts and the fifth verse, Jesus had promised them, he said, John truly baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he went on to say in verse 8, and you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. He had already promised that to them previously in Luke chapter 24 verse 49 records what Jesus said there. That he said, the promise of my father is going to come upon you, but tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with this power from on high. And so that was Jesus' promise to them, that I'm going to see that you get something to be with you after I leave. He said, I'm not going to leave you except in bodily presence. I'm going to send my spirit to be with you forever for the rest of your days, even to the end of the age. And so he promised the Holy Spirit. And this is what all of this is basically depending upon. All of these good things that were said about the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem depended on their having received that promise about the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 2, we read the description of how that happened. It said that on the day of Pentecost, when it was fully come, that means, you know, the days back then started the evening before, so... Uh, when it was the next day, they were all with one accord in one place, and all of a sudden, there came this rushing, mighty wind from heaven, and it entered into the house where they were together. 120 of them, out of all the thousands of people that heard Jesus, out of all the thousands of people that he did miraculous healings for and deliverance from demon possession and raising from the dead and all of that, there were just 120 that really, in their hearts, wanted to stick with Jesus no matter what. And so, as this rushing mighty wind came, it said, cloven tongues of fire like lightning came into that building, and tongues of lightning touched down on every one of those 120 people, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how that church got started. That's how they became the kind of church that we all want our church to be. That's how they... And, and the reason I call it a Baptist church is because of what it says there. First of all, it said they continued steadfastly in the apostle's doctrine. In other words, they determined they were going to go by what God said in his word. That was going to be the way that they chose to be and what they chose to believe and what they chose to live by. And so uh, they were committed to God's word. The second, it said they were committed to fellowship. They were like a family. And it says they were 
uh, in breaking of bread. Uh, when we as Baptists say we're going to have a church fellowship, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Food. <laughs> we're going to eat. <laughs> and so you can see it, and this is not the only, it's two times in describing that church, it mentions breaking bread uh, and from house to house, as well as when they got together as a church. And so uh, <clears throat> it's easy to call it a Baptist church, but it talked about the family fellowship. They stuck together. Uh, if anybody had a need, those that had more than they needed, they, they gave to those that had needs. Uh, they sold things in order to give people that uh, lost their jobs because they were Christians. They sold things in order to help them get along and have what they needed. And so it was that kind of a church. Uh, and so wonderful things. It's a wonderful description of the kind of church it was. But the reason it was that kind of church was not that they had rules. It was because they had the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was urging them to be this kind of people and empowering them to be this kind of people. And so as we come to the close of this service, I want you to think about this as I've thought about it. We all that have chosen to accept Jesus as our Savior, we all have had a taste of the Holy Spirit. I can remember my first taste when I accepted Jesus as my Savior. Boy, I felt something going on inside of me. And uh, I didn't understand it, but boy, was it ever great. I felt a cleansing and a, a newness of life. I felt that I am now a child of God. I, Jesus is my boss from here on. All of those things came to me as a child when I got my first taste of the Holy Spirit. We all get that when we accept Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord. We all get that first taste. But these things don't all happen instantly like that and then stay for the rest of our lives. As somebody said, we're leaky vessels and uh, we may get filled up, but uh, if we don't keep getting refilled, we run, the, it all leaks out and we are not spirit-led. We are not spirit-filled. And so we drift off of the path and we get into things we shouldn't and so forth. The Lord may speak to some of you today that have never experienced the first taste of the Holy Spirit and you think, that's what I need to get in on. But I'm afraid. I'm embarrassed. What are, coming before all these people. Yeah, I, I felt that way too. But until I did it, I never did have that full taste of the Holy Spirit until I was willing to put all of that aside and say, none of that matters. This is too important. I'm going to do what God's calling me to do. Some of you may feel like, well, I've done that. I've been there, experienced that. But I know I'm not today filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't really have that same glow. I don't have that same stirring within, that same eagerness about doing the things that please God. I don't have that. I'd like to get back to that. And so as we have our time of invitation, I want to encourage you to listen to what God's saying to you and do it. It's that simple. If God's speaking to you, you do what he's telling you to do. Let's bow for a moment of prayer and we'll have our invitation. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. It's like your presence being with us when we receive you, Lord, as our Savior. We thank you for that. We're here today because we wanted to be. We're here today because we know that you're real. 
we know that you have a purpose for us. We know that there's work that needs to be done in this world. And we're the ones that you have left here and put here to do it. And so, Lord, speak to us. If we're not what we ought to be today, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts. Let us know that so that we'll take the step you want us to take. Make this a time where we show our obedience to you and our desire, our hunger, to have this spirit of the living God alive and full in our lives. In the name of Jesus, who died so we could have this. Amen. Let's stand together as we have our invitation hymn. And you do what God's saying unto you to do. We'll be here, some ministers here at the front, to help you with whatever decision God is calling you to make. So let's respond now to him.